1: Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms of supply see mcdonalds.com.
2: The TalkSport fan network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone.
1: Leicester
3: City have a penalty kick in the six minutes of injury time, injury time, injury time.
1: To the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. I'm Justin. And I'm Peter. And we're joined by Colin Payne, the author of Golden Shots and Visions of Blue, and also by Jeff Wicken. How are we doing? Everybody okay? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yes, thank yeah.
4: you. Jeff Wicken, author of this one, everybody. Remember this one? Car. Oh. Thank you, sir. That was my Christmas, by the way. I'm I'm lifting up hundred years at Vicarage Road, the hundred year companion, which was an absolute blast, and and brings us on to to this excellent, excellent photographic book that has been put together by Colin as the author but I'm sure, Jeff, you're going to be able to bring some of the pictures and some of the history to life because if you've basically, if you are aware of the Wiccans basically, how do you separate the Wiccans? I always like to think that Jeff talks about the ones when they were alive and Ollie talks about most of them when they've shuffled off their mortal coil and into the afterlife with, with Hornet Heaven <laughs> etc. But here we've got an opportunity to go back and remember and talk about and now see in color the era prior to the thing that everybody talks about which is of course the gt era the the book that that you've put together as part of the treasury it's a treasury uh, publication is
3: is that how we're describing this yeah i think so yeah not i think so it is a treasury publication so yeah it's that's a good description Which is wonderful. So
4: anybody who, if you've been into the Hornet shop and you've basically looked at the magazines that they have on the top shelf, you'll see the wonderful vintage uh, pieces and wonderful celebrated stories in the treasury. And then obviously you've got things like YBR that, that let the likes of me and Justin to write in. But this is the top stuff. This is the things that really bring the history to life. But here you've zoned in on one particular era, which is the 50s and the 60s, which was such a crucial time, really, and something that not a lot of people have a, I don't think, have really a great idea of in terms of where the club were in the 50s. We were, as the book title suggests, we were resplendently playing in blue, so this will be the first time that a lot of people will actually get to see what the kit looked like, but. Jeff, before we go, take us back a little bit to the 1950s and where and what the club was in relation to everything and just just bring a little bit of that era to life for us.
0: The 1950s basically saw Watford in the third division south, as it was at the time. And in fact, the the first full season in the 50s, 1951, they finished in the bottom two, which required them to seek re-election, along with Crystal Palace, I think, which was a bit of an ignominy at the time. Uh, So they they really... after the Second World War, the first few years were really quite grim, uh, and that was the, the, the true low point. There'd been one big cup tie against Manchester United that half the town had attended. But otherwise, there was very little to, for fans to get excited about at all. It was a poor third-division South club. Things improved a little bit. There was an injection of money in the early 50s, not least by Benskins, the um, benefactors, But it then drifted off again. And when the league got reorganized in 1958, Mm -hmm. uh, Watford ended up in Division Four for a couple of years. Uh, And 1959, I regard as the turning point, really, both in terms of the kit, because that was the year the kit turned from blue to gold, but also they managed to achieve a promotion in 1959 to 60, the first season in the gold kit, so it was immediately associated with success. Yeah, you know, that particular team is very fondly remembered, but and, uh, a lot of the sort of older generation of fans, that's when they first connected with the club. You know, attendances doubled. They had a successful team. And actually, they finished... Fourth in Division Four, but by the standards of where they'd been in the past, that was um, really quite a success. Okay,
4: um, was that the? Sorry, the, I'm, yes, I'm leaping ahead. No, was that the Cliff Holton and Dennis Uphill kind of period then, when we uh, changed to the Gold Strip and got that success?
0: Yes, yes. So Holton was, in terms of, I don't know, I was trying to think of who a modern day comparison would be, and I came up with Troy Deeney squared. <laughs> um, <laughs> right.
4: Welcome to Algebra, everybody I like this, go on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes,
0: he was Just this immensely charismatic Figure, he'd won a league championship With Arsenal, and was the top Scorer, I think, the lead, the, one of the Years in the 50s when Arsenal won the league Championship, so he was a real Absolute star, but very Charismatic, I mean, he looked great His thighs were twice the Size of anybody else's <laughs> And there's there's one or two pictures in the book where you can see that. And I I was interviewing Peter Walker, who's one of the Mm -hmm. players in that team who's still around. And he he said something that I remember very well. He said, the thing about Cliff was he was so much better than all the rest of us. (laughs) You'd cross the ball to him in training, and from whatever angle it arrived at him, it ended up in the goal. He also was quite famous for taking penalties in, what, we now know as the Deeney style, absolutely larruped them straight down the middle. Woe betide any goalkeeper who stood in the way. <laughs> and the stories of him literally breaking the net with some of his kicks. I love but that. Nets in those days were pretty old, and I don't think they looked after them very well. So oh, probably but, had a bit of mould and but, you know damp but, and.
4: The image of breaking the net, though, that's, we don't want to pour daylight in upon magic and let, let everybody know that it was threadbare. So, Colin, we've we've just brought the kind of up up to the the, the Cliff Holton and, and changing the kit colour. What made you select the fifties that that transition from the blue into? the gold as the use for this particular book as the era to, to select because it is a transition but was there any particular
3: reason why why you went with that i think primarily because it was the era where there were the best photographs if i'm honest that the, the 50s was when the Watford observer really started investing in covering football they had I think there was f- up to three f- photographers they had on the books at the time that would cover the games. They would go, but th- these guys didn't just capture the matches, they captured sort of the players in training, the players socializing, the players out and about. There was this massive sort of enthusiasm among fans to, to see more of players, see behind the scenes. and the observer served it up. From our point of view, we felt really lucky. We managed to we found out that Watford Museum, who we got really good ties with. It had a, literally a pallet load of glass negatives, glass plates, which when the Watford Observer moved from Rickmansworth Road to Caxton Way, uh-huh. they sort of donated to the museum and were sitting in these boxes covered in dust. Unfortunately, what didn't make the journey with them was the sort of the logbook, the catalogue of what numbers there were what things so it was a case of literally going down to Watford Museum, spending about four days literally going through box at a time, getting these glass plates out the size of coasters, holding them up to light and seeing what looked like football and then taking them with us and processing them. So it was really, There was partly because the photos are so interesting and partly because we could get hold of these photos. They're photos people hadn't seen before. And they were great shots. These shots were presumably black and white, right? Yeah, that's all black and white. Yeah. At, at the time, the printing presses, obviously, all the newspapers were black and white. They didn't go colour to the 80s. So it was a case of necessity more than anything else. There was no point in taking colour photos because they'd, they'd, they'd be printing them in black and
1: white. So the photos in the book are colourised, right? So yes. Yeah. What was the process for colourising them? How did that happen?
3: Oh, <laughs> it's long-winded. Basically, you can get artificial intelligence where you put a photo in and it comes out colour as long as you want half a shirt in purple and half in red
1: and the, the arms in blue and the yeah, faces you, in green and yeah i don't remember us was playing in them colors colin so no. yeah that didn't work
4: so th- so there's no. a simple and painless way that doesn't work okay i some think we're the, now going to come, come on to the one that does
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's,
3: there's a very much a painful way of doing it which is basically you get the picture you run it through the program photoshop and literally each color has to be added not by hand but you have to outline the area you want with Mm. with your mouse and cursor and then you add a hue and saturation so you see these shots where there's like crowd each face has to be individually highlighted in the crowd or in each eye face and you add that color to it so it's quite a long-winded one, and it's another reason why in the book you'll notice a lot of the games that featured have got small crowds because
1: I didn't <laughs> want to cover them in the faces. <laughs> and so So, so yeah. when you've got, like, obviously a Watford player, you're either going to yeah. colour it blue or yellow, depending yeah, no. on when yeah. the photo was taken. But on other shots, how did you decide, okay, this guy's wearing a blue jumper, or was it just you thought that vest? or?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's partly, yeah, it's guesswork. With things like jumpers and that, we we, we knew that there's the shots in the book where the players, they've got this ubiquitous green sort of turtleneck jumpers that mm. we knew at the time they were green, so that was easy. But a lot of the clothes, you sort of guess, you go on the shade and you you get an eye for guessing or, or realising what colour they will be. But, but there's mm. some, they're pure guesswork. There's one of Stuart Scullion with a nice sort of, Beige and brown cardigan; it could just as easily be light blue and red, but he looks pretty natty in the beige and brown. So we went with that. You
4: know. <laughs> and, and, and that everybody is Colin Payne, both author and Stuart Scully and stylist, giving you that information. The the other thing is it brings the era to absolute life it, because it when you get to see to the book and do and go do go and get it because by the time this is released it's already out so don't be waiting go out and buy it people It brings the era to life. There's this lovely shot where all of the team are basically in after a game and they're standing there with Jim Bonser. And it's clearly after the game because they're all, one player especially, is covered in mud with a cup of tea and he's got a fag and he's having basically, he's he's basically smoking alongside the club chairman who's particularly
1: thrilled, it seems. That is Bobby Bell, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it? It
0: is Bobby Bell, yeah, with the fag. The club chairman in that picture has a bread roll in his jacket pocket. (laughs)
3: He's
0: (laughs)
4: got a bread roll. Of course he does. He's the club chairman. Of course he's going to have a bread roll in his pocket.
0: (laughs) Taking home. I think the Jim Bonser uh, image needs to be completely rehabilitated on account of that one picture. Fun-loving prankster it, it's, or perhaps it, one of the it, players it, put it there. It's a lovely
4: capturing yeah. of the time. You've, you've just had a game. Yeah, come in, have a cup of tea, have a diuretic after you're after you've basically all dehydrated. The era of sports science or knowing what to take is many decades away at this particular point. It's well done. We've just had a win. Cigarette. It's Harry Enfield writ large. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Wonderful stuff in there. And then you see other views where actually you get, and I appreciate this is recolorized, but the photograph of the actual surface of the pitch looking across at the main stand as it was before, before the main stand extension got put on. People of a certain age will remember the main stand before it got demolished and the Sir Elton John put up there. Uh, I I only came around when the main stand was already there. I think the main stand extension was built, and I think it was it sixty nine something like that that it went up. So you get to see yeah. the you get to see the, the the ground as it was from every perspective. Because in fairness, the photography in and around the fifties and the sixties, especially sports photography, would have had to have had incredibly sh- uh, quick shutter speeds and incredibly expensive film to have actually been able to catch the action and still in prior to this is prior to digital photography where you can take thousands upon thousands of images and just pick the nicest one these were real you know, skilled artists these these photographers that you're celebrating in many ways
3: yeah i think that's one of the thing with the book is when, when we got all the photos to choose there's so many that's taken from one angle across the goal looking at the supporters club or from the goal looking down towards where now the southwest corner is what's known as that now. Yeah, It was a case of looking and trying to get these different angles, these different shots, these different views. There's one picture amongst them. I don't think I sent you it, guys, in advance, but it's of a friendly pre-season, and it's looking down towards the rookery, and it literally looks like what for the playing on a playing field in a park almost because there's nothing there. There's just an earth bank at the other end with about 20 people. <laughs> yeah.
4: Jeff, what, Jeff is basically do do? If it,
3: Jeff's got it. Jeff yeah, is yeah. making
4: up where we are, letting everybody down. <laughs> yeah, look yeah. at that. Yeah. What
3: is yeah. that? Going? Sorry. What is that? That, that? That's oh, Jeff would tell us about 1957 or eight, I believe. 1958. Just got the captain. 58. Oh, look at this. Yeah.
0: The rookery yeah. was open for 10 years yeah. between. Yeah. and that's what it looked like. Wow. Before it was there. Wow.
3: So, Brilliant stuff. Brilliant yeah, and it's stuff. It's like you say, yeah, and adding that colour, I think brings that out. If you're looking at the black and white picture, you almost pass it by, you give it a cursory glance, but with that, it, it there's little things to pick out there and little things you notice and... So certainly I did doing it. I've become so familiar with sort of the players' faces and sort of things. I got a bit of a man crush on Stuart Scullion when I was doing it. It's the third time uh, we've mentioned Let's be late. honest. Yeah.
1: You're like a man in beige, don't you? I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> the, 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 the layout of the book has the black and white and talk to one side in many of the pictures and then has the colorized yep. version. So you can see the original, you can see the, the hard work that Colin has put in, very Tommy Mooney esque in his work right there to so obviously capture this. But you're absolutely right. It does bring it to life. It makes it vivid. Yep. It makes it speak to an audience in 2023 who can look at that and really pick it up. And when I was looking through some of the, you very kindly sent me some of the images over and I did go, I did go, you're not the only one who can hold up a book there, Jeff. Look, I did go to that and I went back to the 50s and I was, and to me, It really, it added to all the stuff that I had there, which was obviously focusing on the stadium, but obviously what was going on and around the time, et cetera. And it did. It just brings it all to life as a combination. It's lovely, which is great stuff. You mentioned the supporters there, and there are some great photos, some of which I have seen before in kind of YBR and and the like, in terms of them bringing that, that to life, I think it's really interesting. Whenever anybody thinks about the fifties and the sixties, and I made the Harry Enfield, yes, Mr. Chumley Warner kind of reference. Everybody thinks of it as an incredibly formal time, but I think actually seeing there's the pictures of the girls on the pitch at the at the game and the guy with the with the big hat. Yeah, it was Andy Gurney. That, Aunt, Aunt ain't
1: Aunt days, that, hat, that we, hat ain't getting in these days. No chance.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, I have to say, he if there is any one hat made to hide a flask, it's that. It really is. You could take a drinks cabinet in there and have no trouble whatsoever. <laughs> Boy, are we making that contemporary. Hi, this is Jay Demerit, and you're listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast.
1: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. <whistles> at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: on 16-123. That's 16-123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: You are listening to the Do Not Stretch Your Eyes podcast. I find your lack of faith disappointing. It's a wonderful piece.
4: If we go back... The changing of the colour kit, and the only real kind of frame of reference I think I've got with a changing colour kit, other other than other than Luton Town, who basically let's be honest, they just change their kit every five minutes because what can you do? For me, was, was when Vincent Tan went and bought. Cardiff. And of course, he went and bought Cardiff and changed the stadium and he changed the colour for whatever reason, et cetera. And it really upset everybody with the identity. In and around, we capture something. And Jeff, you mentioned that obviously it was successful. It was very much a gold at the time, which comes through in the pictures. That was because of the success of Wolverhampton Wanderers, I'm presuming at the time.
0: That's the assumption. They never really said that. Mm. It was just announced in the summer that that they were going to be changing. Wolves were one of the big two teams of the time, along with Manchester United. So that's the assumption. There's very much a practical part of it as well, which was that... 12 of the other teams in the 3rd Division South... Wearing they, blue. ...worn blue shirts. Yeah. Or in the away colours a lot. I don't think at the time anyone, anyone was really bothered. There was no, sense no. That there, was much, there was no sense that anyone was much, much bothered about it. I think people were just fed up with the blue. It was not associated with success. People didn't feel strongly about this stuff. Unlike now, when the FSA is putting together the Football Fans Charter, and yeah. one of the things that is considered as the heritage of a club, is it's colours. In the past, yeah. clubs have changed colours really quite frequently. Sometimes it was going way back, depending on what shirts were available in the local department store. That is going quite a long they,
3: way at the, back. At the time, it was a different time. You didn't have replica shirts. Uh, apart from cup games, people didn't even go to games with scarves or bobble hats or anything. But it was very much your colours weren't sacred like they are now. You think back to the time we had that big vote because, you know, the the badge might be changing. It took a season of sort of this and that and loads of designs. At at the time, they they were literally, crudely sewing these badges onto the shirt.
1: It could change. No one was that bothered. No one was that bothered at all. When we had the blue kit, was there a logo? Did we have a logo, a Watford logo? No. There was no
3: badge on them at all till I think that 59 shirt was the first one that had a badge, weren't it, Jeff?
0: I think it was yes, Yeah. yeah. yes,
4: and, yeah. and the original badge design of basically a chairman smoking with a player that was clearly obvious <laughs> in, <laughs> in an of its own. I remember because the old uh, Toffs, the old-fashioned football shirt company, did the the, yeah. the blue one, and they they put a badge on there with the WFC, and it was a heart basically uh, there. But no, I, d- I don't think I've seen it in any depictions. Some of the p- the pictures have the kind of uh, almost what I would consider be almost like the Peterborough esque kit, like we have here, like. On the cover, yeah. in terms of the blue, was it always just a plain blue shirt, or did we occasionally have white sleeves, or am I mistakenly picking out an away team?
3: If you'd know, that is Watford playing there against, in the blue against Watford. It's a pre season friendly where they had them every year <sighs> since the 1900s began. And basically, that's Watford's kit from the previous season. They only wore it for a few months, but that is Watford in the blue and white as well. It was a Possibles v Probables excellent stuff yeah. and at
0: the back yeah. of the well, cover another thing you can see on that one is the half-finished rookery in the background exactly so the roof's up um, but they hadn't got the back on yet
4: why did we never end ever end up having in the rookery a more steep incline on the on the floor because it was ever so anybody who remembers the rookery stand or, sorry the rookery terrace i should say it was incredibly shallow you you had commanding views of the back of somebody's head if you weren't basically over six foot five was there any reason why
0: that that it's never got almost completed? safety <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think I joke money, in a way but that, it actually was that. apparently it was the the fire brigade insisted on it and they insisted that each step needed to be six feet from front to back in case people fell over forwards and there was too much of a crush the club really weren't very happy about it and nor the fans, really no. view once you got anywhere near the back was, was pretty terrible. But it really was at the uh, instigation or the insistence, I should say, of, of the fire authorities. Crikey. There's... The gap between people's heads and the roof was enormous, because yeah. the roof was, I don't know, 50... Was it 50 feet? It may have been.
4: It, it was... Um, if it was a property, you'd say, lovely ceiling height. Absolutely, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was just... Yeah, it was one of those. Other photos, as you mentioned, you bring the social life to, to, to the fore. And as you say, it's really interesting that the, the observer was starting to become more photographic as the technology was there. There's some pictures in there, including the, the, the players' parties and what have you, that, that go on, which kind of again it speaks in and of its time now there's one that i'm sharing here at the moment do we have any idea of quite what's going on in this yes it looks like a (laughs) skiffy group but there's somebody with a white powdery nose let's be honest that would have a different connotation these days playing something that looks like a box with a string and a pole i don't quite understand that
1: hs bass that is peter
4: oh is that what it is excellent the based there's, with the there's, skiffle instruments. Yeah. there's a reason I never played in a skiffle band. I can tell you that much. Did you, are there any kind of stories back from there in terms of kind of these styles of events, which obviously evolved on to becoming Bailey's nights and went into legend?
3: I think all, all them play, people on the instruments, yeah, they're all players. It's not like a band that's come in. They're the actual players. That's Bobby Halfield on the bass, I guess it is, yeah. And you've got George Harris on one of the guitars. You've got uh, Ron Crisp on another one and Dennis Woods on another one. It's, they're playing their own, they're doing their own entertainment there. It, it's very much of the... De- the time certainly i can i can see a
4: saxophone off to the left i wonder if that luther's involved in that no maybe not (laughs) might be a bit early We, we had mentioned luther was apparently learning sax at one point we're gonna we're gonna find out more about this and we're gonna get a sax and see if he can still play it at some point he'll run a mile i'm sure oh this is this is wonderful stuff as the 60s go on, we and this is, again, why the success, obviously there was that Cliff Holton era, which became absolutely – well, it became legendary, really. I mean, was it 48 goals in a season he scored? I think it mm-hmm. was. You yeah, know, Exactly that, yeah. Which yeah. is the very definition of the phrase, none too shabby. <laughs> that would cost a pretty penny these days. But then, of course, we get into what, until GT came along, became the era of all eras under Ken Furthy, which, again – is covered in this era, covered in this the colorization of this and bringing that to life. Jeff, just introduce us through where they were when Jim Bonser was basically, let's be honest, stealing bread rolls from his own football club, which is a desperate <laughs> level of level of thing. To to getting into Ken Firthy and getting up to the top flight for the first time, or the, to the second tier, I should say, for the first time.
0: Yes, by and large, in the sixties, Wat, Watford operated in the upper part of the third division, and was felt that was the and I quote, natural level at the time. They had a couple of quite near runs at promotion. There was one in 1964 where it all came to grief on the last day at Kenilworth Road, <gasps> unfortunately.
4: Everybody just oh, exhaled yeah. here.
0: <gasps> and another one in 67. So they had a furphy, the, the 64 one was under the, the previous manager who was called Bill McGarry. Huh best known these days as the man who introduced Z Cars as the pre-match tune. Well uh, done, well done. Um, so he jumped ship and went off to manage Ipswich and they brought Ken Furphy in, who was very much a sort of young, forward-thinking, tracksuit manager, as they called it, but very much ahead of his time in terms of tactical uh, nuance and put a team together that challenged in 67, just missed, finished third again. So they were coming close. And then finally, he, he put the team together in sixty eight nine. That was the one that, that won the third division and got Watford to what was what people referred to as the promised land of <laughs> Division Two. Division Two, as was
4: Championship,
0: well, as is in you modern know, you money. Could, some would say that's the natural. That's pretty much been the natural level since. With oscillations around it. <laughs> Was he the replacement <laughs> manager? Oscillation. <But> that's a <laughs> controversial topic for, but that perhaps we should stay away from today. That's, no, that's fine. Oh,
4: obviously, everything marked at the club is pre- and post- GT you can look at, you can look at where we were oscillating, shall we say, which prior to him was always in the bottom two divisions and afterwards was somewhere in and around the top. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Our I mean,
0: nat- the first our natural the promotion to division two only lasted three years and they never finished out of the bottom six. And the third of those three years was a really horrible relegation. You know, five wins all season. Um, oh, it was grim. But 2022. Um... <laughs> but, again, yeah, yeah, uh,
4: but again, actually, yeah. But again, some of those players, some of those players in and around that time, because it was interesting the other day, we were talking about something and we were talking about seasons and years and Carl, I'll basically remember the year we got promoted and Justin remembered the year we got relegated. And your glass is either half empty or it's half full, and you can either get up to, beyond what is considered to be at that time, your natural limit, and then basically hit a glass ceiling, but it's surely better to hit the glass ceiling than never to have tried. There were some real players in that Firthy team who followed him onto clubs thereafter, obviously Stuart Scullion and uh, and Keith Eddy. Who were some of the other characters in and around that team who were either captured in the book or kind of in and around the time when we're towards the, uh, the, the gold end of the book, shall we say?
0: In terms of characters, Duncan Wellborn, I think, would qualify he was every team had to have a player called chopper (laughs) and duncan wellborn was watford's version of chopper Uh, uh, and that is on account of tough tackling just uh, that's that's reassuring thank you
4: you. yeah yeah yeah, that 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 (laughs) silence has now been broken yes absolutely and of course resplendently recreated by merwals in the subway of legends as i'm determined to call it Absolutely. Duncan Wellborn, yes. Wonderful. He had how many? 400. He, he was in the 400 club, wasn't he, of appearances?
0: Yes, yes. And um, he had some ludicrous number of consecutive appearances that was close <laughs> to 300. Oh, wow. Uh, he must have been tired.
1: They <laughs> injured. That's not oh, yeah. the kind of
0: thing you get by having a cigarette well, no. with the chairman, is it? Um, but for, for someone whose trade was tough tackling, it's quite surprising <laughs> that he never had to miss a game through injury no. or indeed suspension. <laughs> but then, uh, but he- players getting booked was uh, an extremely rare thing at that time, let alone being sent off. So, Colin, are there any particular favourites in terms of Or special
4: kind of memories Out of the How many shots Are there covered In the in, in the book And are there any Favourites or, or Special moments For you in those
3: There's about no, Somewhere between 90 and 100 shots In the book My favourites I would say There's a couple There's one of all The players in the Dressing room Celebrating promotion Where they're all Sort of In 68 69 um, They're all there And it's just A lovely shot You can see the happiness It's that picture You flashed that up Earlier about the black and white stripes v the golds. Again, it's another Watford v Watford game. But to me that that's so good. It's where the I think the colours have really worked there. But you can see in the background it, it's so much you can see there. And I think that just typifies that era. And some of the crowd shots I really like. I do like the ones of the supporters just for the fact you can see at that time just how the whole town must have turned out. There's so many sort of school, mostly school boys there, but school kids there and the whole town turns out for these cup games. And I think that shows how special ADFA Cup was then, but B also sort of just how well supported Watford was by the town in general. Some of them are really good. There's a team picture where they're lined up in the blue kit in front of the stand as well. There's just something about it, and it just shows that's so Watford where everyone's sheltering their eyes from the sun, and you still go on a sunny day, (laughs) and people in the Elton John stand are sheltering their eyes from the sun. That's a terrible yeah. step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you can see that there's a bit of behind. You can see behind the, the sort of the players. There's a bit, but there's barbed wire separating the the little terrace from the seats at the back. You can just see it on the right, and it, it shows you what the ground was like then. And the corrugated iron running all the way around the side, and behind there's a wire fence. And you can see The dog track run, and it, it sums Watford up at that time. And and again, it's just a great shot.
4: And it brings to life a piece that I remember Ollie wrote entitled. There was corrugated iron there. Okay. Fine, uh, and, yes. and there was. Yes, if it you went, was yes. I started going in the kind of mid to late 70s, and it was amazing how much corrugated, basically, if corrugated iron didn't exist, then basically football in the 70s would have just fallen over. The whole stands and everything was <laughs> seemingly built on a combination of that and asbestos, seemingly, but never, yeah.
3: I think it was rusting as well. That's the thing. I don't know if you remember, but the rookery, for years, there was a hole in the back where one of the panels had fallen out and never got repaired and it was the ground if you think back to 1977 76 it was just falling to bits the shrodow stand was decaying and rotting and totally different place to now
4: it's a wonderful piece it it fits in beautifully with i think the whole treasury <laughs> I think as I say I think it fits beautifully almost as a follow up I appreciate it is not a sequel in any way shape or form to the underview, because it brings all of these pieces to life as does of course the whole of the treasury in terms of that some people listening may not have as I said picked up the treasury Jeff you do so much stuff with the treasury I know give give us a 30 second kind of pitch about what the what the treasury covers and why somebody might want to pick it up have a look at one of the many copies
0: We've done 10 of them now. We refer to it as a visual history of Watford FC. We're never quite sure whether to refer to it as a book or a magazine, some kind of halfway between the two. And yeah, I don't know, we, it's about celebrating, really. It's about joy. We bear very. There's very little reflection on current times, so we don't have to try and capture the feeling the mood of the moment yeah. uh, in it, it's a sort of happy world where mostly where we write about things that appeal to us and we hope and think will appeal to supporters obviously those who were there at the time but also younger fans more recent fans who have a, a historical interest but crucially backed up by top quality photography and images mm. and colin referred to this wonderful discovery of all the images from the 50s onwards uh, in the uh, the museum archive uh, that the Watford Observer photographers have taken, um, we've got a good relationship with Alan Cosy who's the club's photographer now. Yeah. So uh, he gives us uh, good access to current stuff as well. So we're able to feature 50s onwards with really high quality, high resolution graphics, which are just a real treat. And older stuff, you're pretty much reliant on what you can find from newspapers of the time or what happens to have survived. And anything that you come across, you end up using.
4: They are. Each one is absolutely beautiful. And what, to me, what it talks to, each one also tells the story of it and it's the combination of the pictures and bringing the whole thing to life and the first-hand and or relayed experience of them. It's absolutely beautiful. And it really speaks to, I think, the the level of history and the interest in the history of the club. Obviously, uh, Watford FC archive through Trevor Jones and now more recently Ian Grant and Matt Rosen is a fantastic uh, repository of facts and figures. Watford Gold, we've had the guys on, we've had Neil and, and Tom on from Watford Gold talking about that. Mm. And this, mm. again, just further brings it in it's a beautiful thing to see and on the 22nd of november it's it's on the 7th of november as we speak tomorrow the book is released on the 8th but on the 22nd of november you've got a treasury and indeed kind of book launch event tell us a little
3: bit about that where it is and
4: and how people could could come along and get to see all of this good stuff
3: it's going to be at the Mad Squirrel down King Street in Watford, 7.30 on the 22nd, which is a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. All welcome. It's not got to be invitation or ticket. Anyone can come along. We'll have copies of the book. We'll have copy, other treasury products if people care to come along and put their hands in their pockets. We'd happily take their money off them. But it's not about selling things. It's just about a get-together, really, people to come. They can chat about Watford's history, chat to us, chat to each other. And really just an informal social event, but a chance for everyone to come together and really share a bit of the club's past and and also buy some books. Of course, but it's the
4: words that that a lot of people use, but this is the opportunity for it to look after itself, which is community. It's about coming together, celebrating the past, looking forward and collectively and cumulatively, hoping for good things in the future, but enjoying what has been there. And this is the first chance for you to see, literally turn the page as we literally shift from blue into gold and into a different era and into a different sort of time. And very much... That trajectory going towards, heading towards the GT era, which just isn't really picked up that much in comparison to every time you turn on the BBC or, you know, a match of the day or what have you, and and Watford are featured, we'll always see, you know, GT and Elton coming on, and quite rightly that we should. But the club existed before Mm. then. Elton John fell in love with something before that. And this is what he did. He fell in love with it. He watched, he was there as we transformed from blue to gold. It's a really important time in the history, and it really adds in. And, gentlemen, congratulations on the book. And, Jeff, thank you so much for bringing all of that to life for us as well. As we say, 22nd, uh, it's at the Mad Squirrel. We'll be putting some stuff out on our socials. But, even more news is now, you wouldn't believe it, but this podcast is actually up for a nomination of award which Carl, Justin and I are basically going to go up to Liverpool just to have a jolly. That's what. That's <laughs> the idea. But you're up for an award in the FSA, are you not, for the Treasury?
0: Uh, yes, we are. Uh, YBR was up for one last year, actually. And this year, it's the Treasury. It's in the category of Fan Media of the Year, which is not the category we entered it in, but it's the category that they <laughs> <laughs>
4: goes oh, well. there, there's nothing more Watford than that we're, we're, we're in a category but yeah. we don't know how we got here this is exactly yeah. how the Anglo-Italian so, Cup was run so, Go on.
0: so it's one that they are asking for votes for from members of the public, the FSA, there are a number of different categories. There's Male Player of the Year, Female Player of the Year, Sports Writer of the Year, Pundit of the Year, and then there's Fan Media of the Year, and there are six listed, of whom we are one. So if I, if anyone were to care to visit the FSA website and cast their vote in the Watford treasury box then then please go ahead i should also perhaps add that another category is i can't quite remember the name of the category now but it's one of the community categories and one of the nominees for that one is the ESEA the southeast yep. asian Hornets. If you go to the website, you can vote for them as well,
4: should you choose to. Jeff has asked you really nicely to do it. We, we said, this, this is DNS way, which Go on, do it, please. What we will do is, in the podcast link, there is a, there will be a, a link in there to take you to the FSA one. Do go and seek out the Treasury under Fan Media. Hey, it's us against the world, people. It's Watford. Go vote for it because, one, it is superb. Please do get up to the get up to the shop and, you know, it's in the Hornet shop. Go and get some Treasury or some YBR or, even better, you could subscribe to it, could they not, Colin?
3: They can. It, all the details are on our website, the watfordtreasury.com Straightforward. And just click on the little button and it'll take you to YBR or the Treasury or wherever else you want to go, really. Golden Shots if you want to order it. We've also put up some... Articles so people can go on there and see what we're about if they want to have a read if they're bored at work one day just spend some time
0: <laughs> and have a look around
1: see what we do. drive well, off work and read about corrugated iron. Yeah, you, you go. You, let's, you, let's you know, know the do comment. not scratch your eyes
4: audience. <laughs> if you yeah, do, yeah. Need, do, you need yeah. distracting from work is something from Watford. Watford. Oh, yeah, that's us definitely, <laughs> definitely, gentlemen. the The electronic version that I have seen thus far of the book is a triumph. I look forward to getting my hands on a physical copy of it very soon and. Seeing you all down at the Mad Squirrel on the 22nd. So there you go, people. There's your homework. There's loads of stuff to go and do. There's votes to make. There's a pub to go and get to. I think we can all do at least two of those three. Definitely, gentlemen. Well done. It is a book very much in keeping with the legacy of the Treasury and YBR and all of the fantastic stuff from those archive sites that I mentioned earlier on as well, which just keeps the history alive. Because if you don't remember this stuff, what's the point of going next Saturday if by Monday it doesn't mean anything to? you the whole cumulative thing is this massive melting pot of history and when you see some of these pictures it just brings it so alive and so vibrant gentlemen congratulations brilliant stuff
3: thank you very much peter thank, thank you justin thank you
2: about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
1: It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go, your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery free In terms apply. See mcdonalds.com